Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Searching for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full-time, part-time, or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offer the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. Welcome back into another edition of The Kickabout here on The Blue Room. I am your host, Rob Vera. This week, I am joined by Matt Jones and Mark Mosey. Matt, I'm always happy to have you on, but I'm always extra happy to have Mark on. And it's not personal. It's just because I, I feel like I see you all the time, Matt, but I only get to talk to Mark like, you know, once every two months or so, you know, whenever I'm allowed to have him on my on my show, which I think there may I feel like there's some sort of uh, cap or you know ceiling to the number of times that Mark is allowed to come on the mm-hmm. kickabout. So it makes it extra, extra special. <laughs> we would surely, we'd have to charge more if if I was coming on more regularly. We can't just keep giving this sort of content out for free. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you say that, that's nothing personal. In what other way can I take that other than personally? But... I'd take it personally. <sighs> yeah. I guess when you tell someone that their presence is nothing special, that there's not a lot of ways to take that, Matt. But I would like to think that our friendship is strong enough that you understand what I really mean by that. So, yeah. 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 I my fist on my heart. <laughs> Neither me or Rob no, make the rules. Nice. We we simply abide by them. Um, and if our compass morally says to give the people what they want, then who are we to to disagree with that? Well, and in fairness, I I don't really know what anyone wants. I certainly don't know what women want. I'm, my wife says that to me constantly. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. I just realized that this is the first time I think 
that I've ever done a kick about where all three of us are married. Yeah, maybe not actually. I don't know why that impresses me on some level, but you know, I'm I'm now granted I'm the oldest one, so Matt is still in the honeymoon phase where everything's awesome. Mark is probably just past the point where it's begun to to, to sink in what he has actually done. Uh, and for me, I think me, it's the way I'm, around. I think Harry is starting to think what she's done by marrying Mark. Well, that's that's possibly that possibly true. Many years but ago. Mark is a treasure. Mark's a treasure, and if she doesn't appreciate him, then you know she and I can have a talk. Uh, I would you. I don't think we call that a straightener because that would be like a fight, right? I don't want to have a straightener yeah. with your wife, you know. Just just a firm, a firm me discussion. Me and Maria have loads of straighteners, <laughs> and she quite often wins. So if you want to step in and uh, create a challenge, that's absolutely fine. Yeah, Mark and Harry are one of those couples that have no worries about arguing in front of the friends. Whereas, oh, like, no. if I if, if I was oh. if me and Chelsea were on a disagreement, I'd like say, well, you know, we'll chat about this when we get home, or we'll chat about it later. Or she'd say that to me. Whereas yeah. Mark and H, to be admired, to be <laughs> fair, will just go full out at each other over yeah. anything. Yeah. If if yeah. blows are there to be thrown, then we are we are both absolutely in the camp of. Do you know, do you know when I, I always say this when Ricky Gervais always said, if you've got something funny in your head, you have to say it. There's no filter. You're not allowed to stop it with us. <laughs> if you've got some form of hatred to say about each other, you've you've got to say it. It, it can't be left. Uh, and that is, mm-hmm. as I'm sure you'll both agree, as married men, the, the foundation of a prospering relationship. As I have said a few times on this podcast, this is literally the only podcast that my wife does not listen to. So um, <laughs> I don't really I don't worry too much about that. But anyway, um, I certainly didn't come on here to to bore you guys to death with uh, that kind of talk, relationship talk. It's just it just struck me that we're all three married, which is is really I don't know. I, I it's not really, really interesting. Yeah, we're good, yeah. I guess. I don't know. I thought that's uh, the tangent we were going to go off on here, just as a yeah. kind of married men's counseling thing. Oh, God. But I feel like our complaints would be very basic bitch. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like they would just be, mm. you know, what do we, we have really very little to complain. I, I have very little to actually complain about. They would all be more like funny bits. And then there'd be people listening who, you know, maybe are feeling lonely and then they think I'm a real prick for talking and <laughs> complaining about my marriage or, yeah. you know, or you never know. Everything can everything can upset someone these days. So anyway, when, um, when all when our wives do the corresponding anti podcast, when they all get together and talk about us, I think that that will be a whole lot more colorful than ours. Well, like the Sado kick up ours. You know what, though? I actually think I'm going to ask my wife to come on and do kickabout with me sometime just because yeah. I think that would be hilarious. <laughs> and I would create like a, I'd create like some sort of basic Everton quiz for her just to see how much she has picked up over the years through osmosis. Now I can tell you that a few years ago, the only Everton player she could name was Lukaku just because that name is the kind of name you remember. Um, and she certainly took interest in the managerial position when Marco Silva was appointed. Um, she found him to be quite fetching, uh, which always made me uncomfortable because I, I acknowledge that Marco Silva is really handsome, but he's 
his hair and his kind of dreamy, mysterious mm-hmm. eyes and everything. Like, just reminds me of everything I'm not. And then that, that makes me uncomfortable, you know, but that's fine. The playground of the mind is there for a reason. I'm sure you might be a better play- manager though, Rob, you know. Oh, well, I, I think you can go back to my Twitter feed and, and confirm that I always could pick a better <laughs> 11 than Marco Silva for sure. I at least would have picked a 4-3-3 once, you know, uh, or or more than once. Anyway, so speaking of football, uh, some of you who listen to this are into football for uh, for some reason. Uh, and if you are, uh, there's a good chance that you're into Everton. Um, Matt, I was – I like to – source my ideas through a combination of of means uh sometimes it is prescription drug induced ideas sometimes it is which is why i brought mark on because he, he he understands prescription drugs uh as a <laughs> professional like he's a pharmacist it's 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 technically true um sometimes i source it through other conversations obviously the news of the day sort of uh drive some of these discussions as well but there was something that you and Dave were talking about on, uh, I think it was sub, I guess it was subs weekly, yeah. um, that I was listening to, um, at the gym yesterday. Um, just wanted to get that in there that yes, I am going back to the gym now. Fumble uh, you can tell. Hey, Oh, I know you can tell from my face down that it's really, it's really having an effect, but, um, there was something you guys were talking about that made me think of a hypothetical. So let me reset this. At some point, the discussion turned to the uh, news that, uh, or not the news, I guess this was announced a couple of weeks ago, but that for the remainder of the Premier League season, they're going to allow each team to have five substitutions uh, in every game. And Matt, in his very... uh, David Moyes is definitely going to come back as manager sort of way said, I think this is probably going to end up being a permanent thing. And everyone was kind of like, yeah. And it just, of course it reinforces all the talking points that we've discussed, which I agree with Matt on, which is that it, it certainly favors the squads that are really deep and the big money clubs because every rule change and everything that, that is done seems to favor a reinforcement of the status quo. But I was thinking about, the idea of this as a hypothetical to discuss because I wanted your opinions on this. Let's say that <clears throat> this five sub thing being coming permanent was one of a series of negotiating ploys or negotiating items. And you were sitting at a table and they, you were sitting across from some people in a smoke filled room and they said to you, all right, You know, Rob, you get to decide, Matt or Mark, you guys get to decide on this, but we need to come to an agreement. We want to make five substitutions a permanent thing for all the reasons that Matt listed, which uh, Matt and others listed, which, you know, people are going to like the idea of having players get more regular playing time, blah, 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 blah. Uh, You know, big teams like it because it helps their competitive advantage, whatever. But in exchange for making it permanent, you get to ask for one thing one change in the game, one change to the structure. So I was thinking about this and, and I, cause generally speaking, I'm against this idea of five subs because I think it clearly favors who it favors. But I was thinking if I was in a position where someone said, look, we got to have the five sub thing. We've got to have it. We'll give you something in exchange for that. What would the thing be that you ask for? I'm not saying these things are even, but 
I think that if I was to concede to the idea of five substitutes becoming a permanent thing, what I would want in exchange is the institution of some form of a soft salary cap slash uh, tax, uh, luxury tax, if you will. This is kind of similar to what the uh, NBA here, uh, basketball does in America, where they have every team in general, they didn't want to agree to like a hard cap where everyone had to agree to spend exactly the same money or couldn't spend over. But what they said was there's this line. And if you go over this line for every dollar you spend, or in case of Premier League, every pound you spend, you have to pay a pound and a half in a, quote, tax. And that money goes back into the league or whatever. Now, the cap itself grows each year, or the luxury tax line changes each year based on how much revenue the league gets. So as the league gets more popular, it goes up and up. So you can continue to sign players, and it's not like you're stuck at the same number forever. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking to myself, I could accept five subs if there was more equitable opportunity for my club, for Everton, to you know be in a position where the competition for players and you know et cetera et cetera was a little bit more of a level playing field. Or I was thinking in exchange for five subs, let's get rid of VAR or something like that. So yeah. I just want to, I'm just throwing this out. This is just a random football hypothetical, but Matt, I'll start with you. Cause you've always got good ideas and you seem to analyze these types of things. Well, if someone said to you at the, at uh, you know, from the premier league level that they would need the five sub rule to be permanent, but you get something in exchange, what would be the thing you want in regards to a change to how the, the game works, how the sport works, how the league works? I would ban coin tosses to determine which end the team kicks towards first, and the home team is always allowed to pick which way they kick. Which would mean <laughs> we'd never have to. Which means we'd never have to kick towards the Gladys Street in the first half ever again. Which is the most annoying thing about going the match. But in all seriousness, the thing that when you you know sprung this on us here, Rob, not much time to, to think about it. But you know. Well, it's called Think About. We're yeah. kicking it about, you yeah. know? That's the I, whole idea. The thing that came to mind immediately when you said that is in regards to academy players. I think some kind of quota in regards to you've got to have so many players from your academy in your squad and you've got to have so many players from your academy in your first team as well because then it wouldn't just be a case of the richest teams can fill up the 20 positions in the squad if there's nine substitutes on the bench with you know really good footballers they've been able to buy for a ridiculous amount yeah. of money down the years, there will be an onus on some kind of organic development there as well and production mm-hmm. of players, which will in turn benefit the national team, which will in turn benefit the league. It will benefit those clubs to be able to build a identity with local players and help local players come through and get them a pathway. And I think it will just help streamline the, the whole process. So I think the thing that came to mind immediately when, when you said that was was to do with that. Um, in regards to, to aspects of the game itself, I would do away with the 90 minutes clock and just do like a clock for when the ball's in play because yeah. I, for the life of me, can't understand why time wasting is still a thing and how it's still mm-hmm. allowed to happen when it is potentially so easily just eradicated. Right. Have a certain amount of time on a clock, referee starts it when the ball's in play, he stops it when it's not. You add stoppage time on at the end, and you know, and, and that, and that. Well, you wouldn't even need stoppage time, would you? There's you wouldn't no even need stoppage time. time. Yeah. Yeah. There's no stoppage yeah. time, and you know, yeah. this is no the only dis- sport I know of that is sort of yeah. a guesstimate in terms yeah. of how much time there is. And yeah. One one other thing that annoys me about the game, which I change, is think back to where we played United at home at this season, and we had the VAR thing and all that. Um, 
But before Adam Gilfie Sigerson should have had a penalty because he was hacked down by Aaron Wambasaka. Yes. But the general consensus was that because the ball had gone, um, Wambasaka could effectively body slam him, elbow him in the face, dive him recklessly, and it, and it wasn't a foul. I think that happens all the time in the penalty area where a player's having a shot and then gets taken out by a rash mm. diving tackle, and it's dangerous. And in that instance, you know, uh, you know, as what what come on to happen later, where Sigerson was effectively poleaxed and lying on the floor in the middle of the six-yard box. It can cost your team a goal if the, if the player stays down as well and have an effect on the game. So I think that, that they're, they're my things. But in regards to like a, a trade-off for like a systemic thing, I reckon if you're going to have five subs, you need to have some kind of regulation in there that says you can't just go out and sign whoever you want. It's got to be organic. You've got to be clever with it. Yeah. And I like that salary cap idea as well. And I, yeah. I, I, I've been listening to the, the kick about last few weeks, Rob, and I am so in line with your quest to make the NFL rules and the NBA rules apply for the Premier League in regards to salary caps and all these sorts of things as well. I'm, I am totally behind that. Well, so, to and Mark, before I get on to you on this, because I know you'll have something magical as well. I mean, first and foremost, Matt, for someone who is just incessantly complaining about not having enough time to think about this, I think you came up with a brilliant idea, which is that if you're going to expand opportunity by expanding opportunity in the form of you know number of subs or number of players who could actually come into a match then that ought to be in line with supporting those initiatives that everyone constantly talks about which is youth development development of english players etc cetera, etc cetera. so i love that idea uh secondly uh i agree with you i think my ideas are brilliant in regards to the nba and the nfl and i <laughs> I, I will take that and process that. But no, I, in all seriousness, and for, for those who are hearing this and maybe haven't listened in a while or maybe this is your first time, I I just I love this. There's so much about this sport I love. But what I hate about this sport is what is what I feel like are rules and or structures that are there because quote that's just how it's always been uh i feel like if that's that's always a poor excuse for anything you know especially as we're in this time of of massive change in the world just because that's how it's always been is not Mm -hmm. a good rationale i mean matt you even brought up the timekeeping thing i mean part of the reason that you have timekeeping rules like that in football is because uh you know back in back in the the 20s they probably could there was probably one clock in the entire town and it was the ref who had to borrow it from the from the town elders just to have it for the game you know so he could keep time you know keep up with the time i mean you're right like we've moved past this there should be no reason for it mark what is your if again i know matt essentially took one one tray you know got one i there was one rule change, and he got like five things he wanted yeah. there. But I sorry. think they were all pretty. Sorry, Moe's. No, it's it's all good. Moe's, what what do you think? What what are your ideas for a trade? So, you can all have your five subs, but when Everton play at Anfield, all five of those subs are allowed to play the whole ninety minutes, including two goalkeepers, in the hope that one day we'll get a point. And I think we could just about pull off a result if that was the case. Um, as for bringing reckon, American, how, how many players <laughs> reckon we need to? How many players reckon we need to field at Anfield to to beat them from our current squad? If we had thirteen lads on the pitch, yeah. would we beat Liverpool? Would we beat say, Liverpool at Anfield? 
there is absolutely no evidence in the last 20 years no. to suggest that one man would do the difference. So 13 is the absolute bare minimum. Um, <laughs> I mean, we've is, already proven that men can't be our, our men can't our men can't beat their boys. We've already proven that. Well, yeah, so I don't. Yeah. It's going to have to. Be, I would think it'd have to be at least fourteen. Um, I don't know if a second keeper depends on who the second keeper is, right? Like for some reason, I I think Pickford, that Pickford so, and Howard. Pickford and <laughs> oh god, can you imagine? Uh, or Pickford and, and Stecklenburg, just oh. you know, like. <laughs> Stack goes into the pens. I think Pickford should do would do well to always avoid standing next to Stecklenburg in almost any circumstance because then it's sort of like the it's you know Pickford does looks much uglier uh, when he's standing next to to Martin Stecklenburg. It's just oh, you can't help it. I mean, we all do. I do. I mean, I do too. Um, <laughs> the ahead, I think the terrifying aspect of bringing over sort of American sport rules to to football over here would probably be the stop clock, uh, the, the shot clock, sorry, as one of the most oh. horrifying <laughs> ones because the the anxiety that I feel now at the prospect of Everton having to put together a swift move going forward in order to actually have something at the end of it is just making the, the hairs on my arm stand up already. Uh, in terms of realistic rules we could change, the uh, the very first thing I wrote down here is stopping the clock because, as Matt said, how that is still not a thing is absolutely incredible. Um, I think if we were to go into the the realms of compromise and the rules of the game, to go a little bit more broad spectrum in terms of what fans would want in exchange of that um, is something, again, that we can look across the pond at in the way that you guys are able to watch every single Premier League match on television. Uh, and I think the fact that we are not able to do that in Britain is at this stage of life and time and technology and an outrageous display of where money lies in the game uh, and where allegiances will will always dominate in terms of a business sense over what the needs of a fan base are. So I think if we were to if we were to start compromising the laws, and I think this has been one of the the main arguments against bringing in five subs and, and changing other rules is that it totally compromises the the integrity of competition, uh, and that is that is essentially what the Premier League should be a competition. And I think we are we are getting into dangerous realms here of of totally moving the goalposts. Um, but I think in terms of what we'd want in return, the, the ability to watch every game, um, I suppose that the silver lining of, of the current climate is that we will probably be able to watch a hell of a lot of football over mm. the next few weeks. But I think in reality, we, we as, a, as a nation and as a competition should be given so much more back to fans of the game in this country. So that, that would definitely be my change. I think yeah, just just what just one thing I want to say there, Rob, in regards to the three PM blackout is enough. One of those things where it's just always mm. been there, so it, it's just it's just the way it is. Yeah. And I think yeah. there's, there's so many there's so many of those in football, and you know I think that that goes towards like you know you mentioned about the financial inequality, which has sort of made the league what it is in the last few years, where you've effectively got one of two teams that's going for the title. You know, there's, there's been very few exciting title races down the years. And I, I, I just, I'm just thinking, that I don't know if, it was, if it was, as a game or as, as a country, 
or it's just a you know a worldwide football and you know family is not the right word, but I'm going to say football and family. Whether we are just resistant to that change, um, because it, for example, say if football said tomorrow, right, we're going to bring in a draft system, we're going to bring in a draft system from tomorrow where all the best players coming out of whatever academy can go wherever, and the worst team in whatever league gets the, the first pick. And then, I, I, obviously, that would require massive logistical change and all that. But just just roll with me here. Can you can can you imagine the anger from the teams at the top about mm. that? And the fans of teams at the top about that, they'll be fuming. They'll be ab- yeah. they'll be absolutely fuming. And it wouldn't be there wouldn't be this sense of well, you know, it's we need to have a, f- a fair playing field here to make the competition as you know as, as good as possible. It'll be well, what about us? We've spent all this money to get here and done right. well to get yeah. here, and we're right. happy staying staying where we are, and we should stay where we are. There won't be a sense of well, this could be better product in the long term, which might benefit all of us. And mm-hmm. if we do get success in, in the you know in the near future, it might be. You know, feel a little bit better because it's not just been bought or bankrolled by certain people. It's been done by implementing good strategies and leadership right. and youth development and using your head, as you, as you just said there. Yeah. Yeah. So, but but I don't think that would be welcomed at all, and that's just probably because of the way it's always been. Because when you actually stop and think about it, and look at football, and look at the difference in riches that some of the teams are compared to some of the others, it's staggering, and we expect teams to compete. With teams that spend loads of money, and it, it sometimes it takes a bit of a step back, like what we're doing now, to actually look and think about it a bit deeper. To think, why why do people watch this and they're so invested in it when it's <laughs> when, when when there is such there is such inequality? Whereas like something like you know the NFL to sort of bring it back to that, there seems to be different. You know, obviously the Patriots have, have had a bit of a dynasty in recent years, but seems to be different teams in the Super Bowl every year. There's even matches. All different fans get their day. Even teams that are really poor in the NFL get to have a star player. If you're, if you're the worst team in the NFL in the season, you can go and pick the best lad from college, and you can you can give your fans something to look forward to in that sense in the year. Because you like you know this year the Bengals going to be like oh Joe Burrow, oh my god, I can't mm-hmm. believe I'm going to have to watch, watch Joe Burrow every week is going to be brilliant, and that gives everyone something to keep getting behind. And I think that's that's a much better way of doing it. It's a much fairer way of doing it. But football's never going to change because it's just so entrenched and embedded in its roots. Well, and I, I always like to temper any discussion like this um, with the perspective because I, there's nothing uh, because of how insular the, as you put it, Matt, the family can be, and oftentimes that's defined by those of you who've grown up uh, there and and have consumed this game in a much more. Um, a much more immediate and, uh, you know, sort of cultural manner than, than someone like me who's kind of come in later in life to it. Um, and I've been watching the Premier League for about, you know, a little 16 years now. Um, so, I mean, I've got a general sense of it. I, I, I don't – what I am suggesting is less about changing the fundamental structure of how the game is played itself in terms of like one of the things I love about the Premier League is I, I don't want it to go to what like MLS does, which is play like trying to Americanize a playoff system and all those types. I don't think you need playoffs in the Premier League to make it intriguing, to make it great. But if you're going to have a competition that is as cut and dry as every team plays every other team home and away, and that's it. The suggestion in the structure of that idea is that everyone has an equal opportunity, but in reality, they don't. Mm. <laughs> and it's so it, it's 
it, it is it, it, it's funny because the structure suggests a fairness that isn't actually there. So how, how do you adjust for that now? I think that I was probably trying to kind of soft pedal in a, a more, you know, a more phased in sort of change with the idea being that you're right. Like clubs aren't just going to give up their, their power. Um, but it's sort of like the discussions that everyone's having about project restart and, you know, league one and two getting canceled and that, that a lot of these decisions are voted on by clubs who are all just looking out for themselves. The reason all these clubs look out for themselves, especially from a financial standpoint is that the structure that's currently in place essentially forces them to make every decision based on just the health of their club. Because if the rest of the league is healthy, um, it doesn't really affect their bottom line as much as it would if there was a structure in place where, you know, when everyone, when the league benefits, everyone benefits, you know what I mean? So I think that's what the, to, to borrow the, the NFL idea that that's what, what it always comes back to, which is that, you know, you take the TV money, it's split evenly. Mm -hmm. Um, you take a lot of the kind of collective endorsements that the league has. Um, those are split evenly. Um, those types of things and those types of things then create, um, a structure where, you know, a team, you can argue, yeah, well, a team could be bad forever and still make good money. Well, no, nah, not if no one's coming to their games mm -hmm. and if there's little interest, et cetera. But they are rewarded more for being smart. Whereas being smart, let's say, let's say Marcel Brands was the greatest genius in the history of football. You know, I'd love to have that problem. But let's just say that that was the case. Um, he, even the most he can do at Everton, we all have to kind of concede there's a ceiling there just because of mm -hmm. the the kind of glass ceiling of opportunity that is there between the six that have all the money and the rest. And and even even with a billionaire owner, it's still we all still realize that there's a, a sizable gap there. And it's because the system incentivizes, uh, like you said, <laughs> you know, a, dra a draft system, for instance, would provide opportunities for other players to, you know, talented players to be spread out more evenly across the league. I think that's a good idea. But I also understand that scouting would be part of it. Like over here in baseball, Major League Baseball does a hybrid where and Major League Baseball is the closest approximation to the Premier League in terms of like a long history and multiple levels of clubs and all these things. You got the major league and then you have all the minor leagues below it. But in, in, in the major league here, they have a draft for domestic players, meaning players that are from the United States uh, and maybe Canada. They all fall in the domestic. And then the teams can go out and sign whoever they scout internationally. So they can go to other countries. They don't have to, those players don't have to go through the draft system. So they can still use their resources. But every team, ha even with amongst their international players, has a certain amount of money they can spend on signing young international players as well. But the idea is that you're creating some sort of, even with clubs that don't necessarily have all the same resources financially, you are creating a much more level playing field. And I guess that's what I wish could come to the Premier League, because as much as we talk about VAR or we talk about all of these other rule changes that, you know, five subs, whatever, the bottom line is, is that you're really just sort of addressing problems around the edge. But until you get to the actual meat of the issue, which is that there is a systemic imbalance, a systemic competitive imbalance that is reinforced every year. And Matt, to your point, that everyone is just sort of OK with because that's how it's always been. Uh, I mean, I, and to the point about TV, too, I mean, I, I, that 
that makes that's insane to me that you would not put your greatest the, the league that is so popular all around the world make it available for for your own audience domestically. I get why a league or league one or two or a champ, championship club needs people to come to the games and not have it on TV. But if, you know, like they could sell out Goodison, they could sell out the new Bramley Moore Park. There's still going to be tons of people who just want to watch the game who just can't make it out or can't afford the ticket or whatever, or who live in London or who live somewhere. I mean, I just, I don't know. I think that a rethink is in order, but again, I know we're not going to solve all of this on the kickabout, but it just, mm-hmm. it, it just brought up to, it just brought to mind that as we kind of tweak around the edges in terms of rules, that I think that there is a lack of big picture thinking at the top levels of leadership in the FA or in the Premier League in general. I think there's a, the, the point you make about, I know we'll always come back to American sports here, but the, the trigger for any form of change in American sports is to enhance the sport there's a there's a purity about the american sports that we've discussed here that the premier league has has lost over an extended period of time and the trigger for change in the premier league is to enhance the business product and you could look at any number of rules that have that have changed in recent years and be it var or an, an extra european place or changing kickoff times which which seem to extend outwards every single season and the driver for all of these amendments is consistently to make the premier league as valuable as possible and that's not to say that american sport is not valuable because obviously some of the the biggest teams and the biggest franchises in in world sport originate in america but it it almost from over here feels as though that is kind of a side effect of creating the sporting product initially and then obviously taking advantage of, of the corporate side which which any institution would but it very much feels here that i mean the, the televisation of games for example that is that is purely to preserve the monopoly that the premier league have on their product and who gets hold of that and who is willing to pay for that and the premier league clubs within that are essentially just majority and minority shareholders and more and more, and, and potentially this is because we are obviously on the horizon of, of playing games without supporters, but it, it kind of feels as though we are just watching a business plan unfold and we are kind of detached from the actual ongoings on the field. It, it doesn't necessarily feel like a sport at the moment as much as a business. I mean, all of the talk over here in terms of the Premier League coming back, I would say primarily focuses on how can these clubs get hold of this TV money? And if we don't finish the season, they won't get the money and we won't go on to the next season. And before you know it, you, you're thinking two or three seasons down the line without actually caring about whether Everton beats Spurs in a couple of weeks. And, and all of that thing just kind of dissolves into the bigger picture of keeping the business alive. Uh, I don't know, maybe, yeah. maybe, that's a, maybe that's a naive and and pure view of what American sport is and how it is better than, than over here. I'm, I'm sure <laughs> you have similar problems. Mark, you've, you've hit on something important. It's, it's slightly idealistic. It's certainly a business over here and a, yeah, often yeah. a dirty, dirty business. But I think you hit on something that was, that's really profound. The premier league is less of a product and more, 20 products of which of varying values and varying degrees of quote importance or relevance 
Um, you see that even in the way over here, um, when there are commercials for, uh, the premier league as a product, um, on, on NBC sports, for instance, which is the broadcaster here, you, it, it doesn't matter that Lester won the league a few years ago. Every commercial features the same six clubs, mm-hmm. no matter what. And it's like, if there's an outlaw, unless they're talking about a specific match and it's marketed as, as this competition amongst really six teams that are really the league and 14 there 14 other clubs that are sort of there to essentially be the kind of the weekly competition or the weekly punch it, it's just it, it's such a weird thing because in America the NFL for instance is the like the the way that it is uh, the way that the TV contracts are negotiated, the way that decisions are made about the rules of the game. Um, everything is about the product, the sport, the thing you see on TV mm-hmm. as a whole being better. And the idea is that if it's a more entertaining product to watch, the league will become more valuable because of that, as opposed to thinking we've got to find a way to manage the money part and then just mm-hmm. hope, hope that that's a good thing for people to watch. It's, it's a difference between a top down approach and what essentially is like a confederacy of, (laughs) of clubs that are just sort of, they're tied together by this, this structure that says, well, these 20 teams are in this league and there are three that drop out and three that come in. But outside of that, it doesn't feel like there's an identity for the Premier League in the same way that there is for the NFL or the NBA or any of these other sports. And the irony of that is that the Premier League, Premier League, despite all these things, oftentimes is great sport. It is great competition. It is great television. But it just, to me, illustrates how much better it could be with a vision at the top, you know, like I can name the commissioner of all the major sports here in America. I don't really have a sense of who's quote in charge at the premier league. I mean, it's not, you know, you can talk about the chair, but, but, but there is not a person who is setting an agenda and setting a vision for how the league will move forward. It's a bunch of independent, independent entities who are all looking out for themselves, even going to the point of having some of them openly talk about leaving the premier league or joining forces with other other clubs. And you're like, that's a mess. And it's such an insult. And it's Mm. such a it's such a waste. Uh, You know, I I don't know. I just I feel like it could be better. And I say this uh, as I'm talking about a sport that I genuinely love and that I've invested so much of myself in, Um, though, granted, it's so much about Everton. But it just feels like it just feels like there's so many missed opportunities here. Um, I think this is this is one of the problems of of as great a product as it is having one sport in a country that is so unbelievably dominant uh, and that is that is not to play down any other sport in britain but you mm. talk about identity of of the game itself in america you you are kind of forced into the nba and the nfl having to differentiate in terms of sporting identity yeah. in order to attract people to that 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 sport because yeah. un, unless you are Obviously, things like rugby league and rugby union are, are, are very much regional interests in in Britain. I would say, unless you were born into those areas, then you are kind of naturally forced towards football at all costs. And 
the options for for alternatives are not always there. Whereas in the states, you've you've clearly got in some cities major NBA, NHL, NFL teams who who have to create a, a purer sporting product in order to drag people in in the first place. Um, so may, maybe that's the, the price we pay for having such a, a, a dominant business that the Premier League is that we kind of have to play by the rules of the organizer as opposed to playing into the, the hands of the fans. Well, and I suppose too that I'm, as someone who supports Everton, I think I'm constantly looking for Copy some this. sort of, yeah, well, some sort of <laughs> of path. I'm looking for a path, right? And I, Half away I, from it all. <laughs> well, that's another issue. I don't think that I, I've, I've, I've examined that and it's just, it, it seems like it's impossible to get out. But um, no, it's, it's more of just, you know, we talk, I think we're all, as we support Everton, kind of in the back of our mind thinking that if these three things could just break right, then we could be on the path towards what exactly um mm-hmm. i don't know what the ceiling is but i i suspect at times that the ceiling is far lower than it ought to be um it's not only given the stature of who we are as a club but but really just in that the the system is very rigged towards the status quo to the detriment i think of the entertain the persp- the potential entertainment value of the whole thing uh, i just think Look again. I've 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 also been around when you had man, you know, when you had City uh, winning, you know, City at QPR winning the league in one of the most mm-hmm. dramatic final days ever. Like I've I know that there's that end of the spectrum, but we're just about to, you know, before all this happened, we were about, just about to complete, and we I guess now without a crowd, this will really seal it. We're about to complete the least entertaining, least important. Um, least consequential season in how many years in the Premier League? I mean, mm. I, I would say this. You can't look at someone straight in the face and say, this is the greatest league in the world or this is an incredible product when the champion has essentially been determined five months before the season ends. You mm. cannot rhetorically, You cannot rhetorically come up with some argument as to why well but you just don't understand this is how this is this is actually you know having the champion determined while there's still four or five months to go is actually just a, a testament to the greatness of this one t- like, get out of here with that man like i again I, I don't want playoffs i don't want to fundamentally change all the structure but if you are going to say that every team plays everyone and you have that you literally have the most fair and balanced um uh, scheduling structure in all of sport, then it has to be backed up with an infrastructure that actually promotes some equity in terms, you know, some equality of opportunity there. Uh, again, doesn't mean that every club has the same amount of money, but it would be nice to start putting in some, you know, financial fair play is something that the, the fact that no one can really define it or say what it means. Uh, they just kind of know, well, if you do this particular formula in terms of incoming and outgoing and commercial revenue and, oh, my God, I'm falling asleep just naming those things right now. It's so muddled that no one really gets it. Whereas in the NFL, every season I can say. This is how much money every team has to spend. They won't all spend right up to that cap, but they have a they have a floor of the minimum amount they have to spend, and they have a max of how much they can absolutely spend. Mm. And they have certain opportunities to acquire talent. But you're rewarded for innovation. You're, re- you're rewarded for using the tools at your disposal and very much like a chess 
match mm. to to essentially to excel. Whereas here, it's just kind of you know whoever happens to be the biggest bully, that bully on the block with their money, is the one that wins. And I just want more for the Premier League. So, yeah. um, having said all that. I think the part of me looking for a path forward has also been in a spiritual quest sort of way, um, which is this idea that, you know, I'm a big believer in this notion of karma, that if you, you know, in life that, um, you know, what you what you put out there uh, in the world is what you get back in some ways. Um, it, the, I, the 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 I mean, the, the Beatles, the love you take is equal to the love you make, uh, you know, um, <laughs> all of that. And I generally believe that that's true. And so the irony after reading Denise Barrett Baxendale's letter the other day about everything that not only the club does, the players willing to, and I'm glad they didn't take any pay cuts that they did deferrals because I don't believe in players taking less money when they don't need to. Um, but I, but I think it's cool of them to defer it to help the club along, to help employees keep their jobs. And then all of the season ticket holders, you know, basically refunding back that money to go towards Everton and the community and all like how much good karma can this club <laughs> put in without getting fucking anything back? I am it, it almost like I, I laughed out loud when the Paul Joyce tweet came in today about Theo Walcott. And let's just throw in a minor tweak to Andre Gomesh as well. Just just for good measure. It's it's so maddening that we literally are as and I'm not trying to overstate this, but let's you know, yes, we're an organization that makes money and, and Mashiri is, you know, didn't make billions being, you know, a charitable director. I get all of that. But is there any club that looks out for its community, its people, has fans that are as passionately committed and that, that seem to have a bigger sense of what the greater world means? And by the way, I applaud all of these things. Mm. I'm just, you know, when you're, when you're doing something charitable, you're never supposed to ask what's in it for me. But gentlemen, I'm asking you, <laughs> what is in it for me? <laughs> it's... Yeah. See, I, I don't believe in karma, so none of this surprises me in, in that regard. Yeah. But yeah, yeah it's, I think it's these sorts of stories when the season's on just tend to... I mean, obviously, we've never had anything like this happen before, but stories in regards to Everton doing good things off the pitch, I think when they get announced during the season, they're there for a little bit. And then Everton lose a game and they get forgotten about. And you, you, you don't, you, you know, you do take them for granted or you just forget about them, to be honest. And I think what this period has, has done, really, when there's not been any football, and, you know, I think everybody's probably felt that a little bit more vulnerable than they did before lockdown and really appreciated a helping hand off anyone where they can get it. I think it's sort of drilled home what the club does and, and why it's so important. Because, you know, we, we've all. We've all heard that ridiculous line that people say or comment on whenever Everton in the community do anything good, when it's put on Twitter, people say, why aren't we as good at football as we are at charity? Or why are we, or someone saying, why are we bothered about this sort of thing when, you know, we, we lose games, like, like we get beat by Chelsea 4 0 the other week. And that, those are things that actually get said. And in, you know, in the time period we are now, it's mad to think that people say it, but I think what with the football stripped back, and like I said, everyone feeling that a little bit more on edge, you think it's really drilled home how important this sort of thing is. And I hope that it's not going to be something that's taken for granted by anyone again moving forward, really. But 
yeah, the the club just get this right so often. They, you know, they, they they get the the tone of things so right, and I think what's really good about that is that they get the tone right with these things, but so often the pioneers as well. Because I think mm-hmm. a lot of the time you can get the tone right, you can follow in line with somebody, but I think if you put yourself out there and make these calls and make these decisions, sometimes it can blow up in your face. I and mean, we've seen clubs make moves, albeit no, not, not charity ones, but make moves during the, the, this pandemic. Um, you know, Liverpool fellow and the staff and all that sort of thing. I imagine at the time they would have thought this is a good thing for us to do. Obviously, it would have been workshop and spoken about. And they went out there and went with it. And, you know, their line of thinking would have been that their staff are going to get paid 80% of their wages. Um, they're not going to be working at the moment. It's, it's a good thing. But they got panned for it. They got absolutely panned for it, and rightfully so. But Everton make these decisions and make these routes in the communities so often and do so many good things. But the pioneers with it. I mean, they are the first football club to do this this, this wage to federal scheme in, in the Premier League, which is great. And you imagine now that lots of other football clubs will, will fall in line. And, and while we all want to see, you know, all we all want to see one day just eleven lads in blue and white go up and lift something silver above their head at one point, that would be lovely. It does resonate with you, and it does leave you feeling a little bit bursting with pride that we are aligned with this this, this football club for the things to do during this time period. Matt, I would take I would just take a win a week from Sunday. I mean, I don't need a trophy. <laughs> I've given up on that on some level. But look, I D- Darren Rimmer, our friend Darren, said said something to to that degree about you know, what we're all thinking uh, on Twitter yesterday and I, and and my, about how great we are off the, I mean, look, everyone knows this and it is, and my response to him was in a world like this, especially what we've learned about the, the, the world we actually live in and the realities of it and the struggles of it, that it's maybe it's better, you know, if you can only be one thing, maybe it's better to be a force for good than, and I'm paraphrasing, but but essentially a force for good than than just simply a a, a sporting entity, if you will. Um, but I also know that while I'm I'm getting on my self righteous, uh, we are we are the angelic force for good. That it's also a bit of a false dichotomy because you can be both virtuous off the pitch and good. I, I just. I don't need Everton to win everything. I just wanted to win a little more often. Like, and I, yeah, but Matt's right. Like I, I'm, it is totally shitty to be like, well, we do all this good stuff. What's in it? For, like it's, it, that's not really what I mean. I, I think it's just, it is a frustrating contrast or juxtaposition between how, innovative we are um off but you know i think that also speaks to something else and mark i i want i certainly want your thoughts on this too but that's really what the difference is between sport and anything else is that you can draw very distinct lines much clearer lines between uh preparation and planning and the outcome or the results in everything else whereas with sport yes of course preparation and planning is a part of it but Mm. there's such a it's such a it's such a wild card essentially of outcomes and and obviously curses and other things that (laughs) you just never really 
you just never really know. Like with sport, anything can happen regardless of your best laid plans. Uh, you also have some teams that couldn't get an injured player or lose a game no matter what they do. I mean, like sometimes that's just the way it is. So I guess I have to applaud the fact that the CEO of our football club, her roots are literally in charitable giving uh, mm-hmm. and organizational um, organizational leadership and say that maybe, you know, that that's, that that's a good thing. And uh, you know, just kind of hope for the best. But uh, I, I think I'm just, I'm just kind of angsty because we're about to start the season again. And the first thing that we're going to do is, is be reminded of exactly what place we're in, in terms of, 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 of things on the pitch. You're you're angsty because none of this is surprising. None none of Everton yeah. being great off the pitch is surprising. Paul Joyce's tweet, everyone who's been to Goodison Park in the last five years could have probably written that on the assumption that all of the worst things in football would happen to us as soon as it started getting going again. Um as far as as far as Everton in the community is concerned, I think the one thing you could say about that is that it's not often that the the eyes of the footballing world look upon Everton with envy. And I think when it comes to this sort of thing, as Matt said, we are we are market leaders in terms of looking after people. Uh, and for everything that we've said about sport and football being a business, we are of a mindset whereby we look after people who are within our organisation, within our community, and I think that is absolutely to be applauded. Um, where where this all comes full circle and forever taunts us on the pitch for it is is slightly beyond me. But I obviously everything that Everton in the community does is totally separate to on the pitch. But my my problem with Everton in general is that the the kind of nice guys always finish last scenario moves slowly onto the pitch. And this is clearly nothing to do with with charitable efforts by the club, but you get the feeling that Everton are all too charitable in most of their their games as well. And the the sense of giving never really stops once a car (laughs) starts, which is is probably the most disappointing element. Um, Similarly, not a massive believer in karma as much as I would love to be, and I would love that to be a thing which could ultimately influence Everton positively because we are absolutely due some form of of glory in this long painful journey that we're all on but there there is always that that niggle in the back of my mind and it, it's the people's club phrase which which consistently drives home to me how maybe our motives are slightly out at times. And I think you've got to be very dangerous about talking about this, Rob, because you obviously, the the more that you crave sporting success, which is obviously the reason why we're all in this, the more you are shamed upon for saying that Denise Barrett-Baxendale does all these great things, but why can't she curl in a free kick from 25 yards? (laughs) I think that's the... The, the the mantra with which you will be judged if you speak negatively about Everton in the community, which is which is clearly not oh, an never. Option, but um, no, of it, it not. would it would it would please me like nothing else for all of those people who know how how much joy I take from cynicism. If we were to just do something really horrible and win, 
and just be that be that guy that we've all been on the receiving end of so many times. And you now we've obviously spoken about this so much about how we just want that element of of snide or or just a horrible side of Everton to come out and grasp moments by the scuff of the neck. But it just doesn't feel like we've we've got that in us. And we, we've said in, in plenty of shows recently about how Everton are just really lovely. They they are so nice. And when we do things like we have done in previous weeks, many fans from other clubs say, do you know what? Everton do some great stuff. I wish them all the best. And they really do deserve some form of positive change. And it, it's gotten to a point now where I just... I hate seeing that pity on Twitter because... <laughs> do, you think, do you think people would say that if we were better at well, football? The people who write those mm. things know that we are not capable of affecting that change. We, pat there, on the head. There is nothing to fear about Everton playing football, uh, and that is just a harsh reality. I think that it's, it's one of them, isn't it? It's, it's hard to sort of reason with because, like Mark said, we're all here to see... Everton do well and win things but what's more important at the end of the day your football club winning something or your football club helping people in the community that may have been homeless helping people that have been disabled sure. helping people that have got mental health problems and you know it's it's it, it, in your head it's like it feels like the level but really they shouldn't be you know the, the, what the club do community wise is, is absolutely right. should be the, the, the best thing and what they do in, in that regard is is great, but I think this is where we maybe need to start thinking about Everton in the community and Everton Football Club as two different entities because they are two different entities. By the sure. way, they are yes, they are they are, se- they are separate organisations, albeit mm-hmm. Everton in the community as Everton's name in it. And I think that's where there are obviously links between the, the, the two things. But I think we can we can look at it and say. Everything in the community do loads of great stuff and are market leaders, as Mark put it, in, in everything they do in regards to helping people and that sort of stuff. That doesn't necessarily have any effect on what goes on on the pitch right. and, and, and what the football team does on the pitch because they are separate entities. But yeah. in the same breath, people will say, well, Denise Barrett-Baxendale has been involved in both heavily. There's been a bit of crossover in the past. But I think what the football club need to do and it's, it's probably going to be quite a precarious balance for them is try and make sure that they are separate entities albeit there is that everything connection running mm. through each of them but not linking them if that makes I mean it sound, that sounds very David Brentish I, I get but no, so it's, I, it's, I, it's, it's, I know what you're saying. It's it's tough because she came, F- Denise Barry Baxendale came from Everton, the community, right? Like that's where yeah. she moved over from that part of the organization or the club to the. But again, to your point, I think I think you make a really astute point that they should be viewed as separate entities. Obviously, it's it's hard because I think they'd love to have it both ways, wouldn't they? I mean, Everton in the community enjoys the status that they get by getting to utilize the Everton brand and the name Everton, regardless of what we may think of it, it does carry a weight that, that enables them to open certain doors to things they want to do in the community and their initiatives and their projects. But at the same time, I'm sure they don't want to necessarily be tied to whatever our angsty feelings are at the moment about the club on the pitch. It's, it's, it's a complicated symbiotic relationship, but you're right. It shouldn't be a completely symbiotic relationship, especially in regards to how we feel like, 
look, I, I have other teams I support in other sports and they all have charitable, um, charitable aspects to them. But I think that I always, to me, I don't think, I don't even know if you guys can fully appreciate or people who are there can fully appreciate just how different and what, at what a different level Everton in the community does their work compared to the, you know, the, this is not to denigrate any charitable effort, but like, you know, when the NBA team here in town will send a couple bench players over to a school to read to kids. I mean, that's wonderful. That's nice. Uh, they, they do some really nice, they give some money here and there, but Everton in the community is literally going, they go way above and beyond that. And they are well, it's, it's, heavily it's, involved. It's eponymous, and isn't I, it? It's, it's eponymous. It is what the name yeah. says. They, they, yeah. they are, they are in the community. In the very community. Much, uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So look, the, the, you're right. Like I, I think that I, I just, there's just a part of me that thinks that, that there, it would be nice to win, to win something, to just get a little break here or there and poor, poor Gabamon, you know, Gabamon's like probably thinking to himself, we do all this work in the community and yet God continues to take my, my legs from me. What, what have I done? Um, <laughs> I get it. Like it's it's all of those things. But, you know, to the point you guys made, I mean, that that this that we're all in this because we want to win. Like I don't know. I, I we've talked about this before, but I'm not sure I can look at any of you guys with a straight face and say I support Everton because I'm really hoping we're going to win something important. Something mm-hmm. like I don't even know if I mean that anymore. Be, not that not that I don't think that they're are the ingredients there to, to potentially do something possibly, you know, insert any hedge word you want in there. That's, that's us. We are a club full of hedge words and qualifiers, but I would say that the reason that I am so passionate about Everton and wanting to win is sort of like that person who says and means it genuinely. Cause I think that you can look at this cynically, but I mean this genuinely, like I think about if I ever won the lottery someday, um, how exciting it would be to buy all my friends jet skis or some crazy shit like that, you know, like, or just, yes, absolutely. But, but the idea being that like part of, of, of winning something would be to just to bring some happiness to those that you care about because your happiness is tied so much to the relationships you've built. Like, I really just want us to beat the reds because I want my friends to be happy and be able to celebrate in a way that we have been denied for so long. Mm -hmm. Um, I just want, because life is, as the, I remember seeing Dennis Leary do stand up, talk about this once and said, you know, happiness long, you know, happiness is, is, is little moments. It's a cigarette. It's a chocolate chip cookie. It's an orgasm. And that's, you know, it's like (laughs) moments and that's it. All at the same time. You're not going to be happy. (laughs) That is a George Costanza hypothetical that we can talk about at another time. But no, the idea being that like, you know, happiness is fleeting, but you still want it every once in a while. And I just want it for you guys. And I think you want it for me and, you know, vice versa. But anyway, well, we've covered... Um, you know, we've, we've covered karma today. Uh, we've covered, uh, the, the, at least scratch the surface of, uh, the various stages of our, our marital bliss and why uh, the community is bringing Everton football club down. 
That's right. Why this why this whole charitable bit is a racket that we all know is a racket. Uh, when the course up to lift the FA Cup will be there. <laughs> Look, Denise is probably gonna have to curl in a, a free kick from twenty five yards to lift up that cup if we're being honest. Rob Robin, I don't think she gets to tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no shit. Um, and of course, we've 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 completely solved all the problems of making the Premier League a better product. I mean, I feel like we've accomplished quite a bit in an hour or so. So, Absolutely. well, guys, uh, thanks to Mark and to Matt for joining me tonight. Um, we've, of course, I, I I do want to plug really quickly some of the other stuff we've got going on in the Blue Room. Uh, in particular, this week's episode of the Elevens was fantastic. I really enjoyed that. Um, the best eleven uh, in an empty <laughs> best 11 for an empty stadium uh i could not believe by i don't want to spoil anything but i could not believe funos more didn't get in there somehow uh just because of oh, how you, much he you was just you'd be just a lunatic at any circumstances <laughs> <laughs> but uh highly recommend uh, obviously check out the 11 subscribers weekly we've got the weekly that just came out uh you'll be hearing this of course on a thursday so heading into the weekend we've got mailbag and God, guys, before you know it, we're going to have a post-match again. We I didn't even preview. I just, transfer show, preview. Transfer, yes. Yeah. Hey, the transfer show is is one of the great passions of my life, of course. And um, hopefully we'll have uh, some hopefully we'll actually have some real transfer rumors and some clarity on when a window will actually open at some point. I mean, there's all this is on the horizon. With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this. But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet. Sports Social Podcast Network.